when Brittany and I got married 16 years ago in our premarital counseling, we were given a book called The Most Important Year of a Man's Life. And then you flip it over and on the backside, it was the most important year in a woman's life. And it was like half and half. And you're supposed to read each other, read about each other and, and learn about each other. And one of the really helpful things in that book, it talked about our normals, that every person is wired with a, in a different way. And, and they have some different normal rhythms, some different normal habits, things that one family does is normal to them. And then things that another family does is normal to them, right? And sometimes they're different. And whether you're married or whether you experience this with a roommate or a friend or in your own family, it's like there's different levels of normal, right? And sometimes those normals are different, but in our flesh, sometimes we think they're wrong. And so Brittany and I learned this early on when we were married, we were road tripping. Her family is from Omaha, Nebraska. And so before we were married, I would go down and visit them a lot on my own. And I would make most of the drives on my own if she was at home or whatever. And then we got married and we started to go visit her family together. And so we're road tripping now together. And what we didn't realize is our families road trip very differently. Normal in the Walters family was to see how long they could go without stopping. Like, they cared about the destination. Let's get to where we're going. Normal for my family was, how often can we stop? There's a hay bale. Let's pull over and climb up on the hay bale. There's a scenic route. Let's take the scenic route. There's a tree. Let's stop and climb the tree. We all have ADHD, and it's a very different way of road tripping. And so Brittany and I realized this pretty quickly when we were married that we have this different style. She's about the destination, and I'm more about the journey the experience along the way. Now, there's not a right or wrong, right? They're merely different. And I share this with you to let you know that over the coming months, as we look at the gospel of John, we're going to do it my way. We're going to journey. We're going to take our time. We're going to stop. We're going to stare. We're going to look. We're going to consider. I want us to get the gospel of John lived, not simply studied. I don't want to just preach it at us. I want us to experience it as a community. I want it to be a journey more than a study. See, a study has a destination in mind. A lot of times, sermons and teachings and and looks at things, they have an agenda where they want you to arrive at a certain conclusion. There's a destination in mind. A journey has a destination in mind, but it's as as concerned with the experience of getting to the destination as, as it is with the destination itself. And that's how I want to study the Gospel of John in these coming months. I tried really hard to organize it and package it just right so that we could land on like the Easter text around the Easter time, and I just couldn't do it. Kept reading through this and reading through this, and I was like, I don't want to skip over that. I don't want to skip over this. I want to experience this. And John, the author of this gospel, he writes more thematically. He writes more as a story. He writes more as a journey. If you look at the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're a little bit more systematic. They're a little more organized. They're a little more chronological in their writing. They like just start you out on the journey heading for the destination. John, he's kind of like, oh, look at this, look at that, look at this, look at that. Doesn't mean he doesn't have a destination. He does. He has a goal in mind for his readers, but he's as concerned about the journey of us discovering who Jesus is as we get there. And so the big idea for this morning is that to believe, and belief is John's destination. He tells us in this book that he wants us to believe. So the big idea is that to believe, we must behold. To arrive at belief, the end game, the destination that John has for us, in order for us to get there, 
we must behold. We must embrace the journey of beholding. So that's what we're going to consider this morning as we look at this text and a couple other key texts from the Gospel of John. Just to get us going here, look at John chapter 1, and we did 1 verses 1 through 18 for all of Advent. And so today we're going to move into 19 through 34, but we can't move into 19 through 34 without considering a little bit of what's in 1, 1 through 18. So I want you to look at verse 7. John, the author of the gospel, is different than John the Baptist, who he's writing about here in chapter 1. Well, he's writing about Jesus and John the Baptist, and we're going to kind of disentangle that a little bit as we go. But right here in verse 1, John the author, John the apostle, is writing about John the Baptist. He says, uh, let's start in verse 6. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. So John the author is telling us that John the Baptist, he came to talk about Jesus so that people might believe. This is the end goal of John the Baptist's message, that we would believe in Jesus so that all might believe through him. And I love that word all. Anyone who would hear, you don't have to be from a certain family, from a certain country, from a certain background, from a certain religion, from a certain creed, from a certain ethnicity, from a certain prominence. All who would believe in Jesus. And then jump down to verse 12. It says, but to all who did, well, verse 11, let's pick it up there. He says, he came to his own. This is Jesus coming to the Jewish people. Jesus is a Jew. He is an Israelite. He comes to the Israelites, to the Jews. He is one of them. It says he came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. Many of his people, many Israelites, many Jews rejected him. There's a small number who believed in him, and they changed the world. Matthew, James, John, Peter. And says, he came to his own, his own people did not receive him, but to all, there's that word all again, this inclusive gospel that goes throughout all the world, to all who did receive him, who believed, there's that word believed again, this agenda, this end goal, this destination for the readers of John, to all who did believe in his name, he might give the right to become children of God. I love that verse that Ben read for us this morning from Philippians 2, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. And here, John, the author, is saying that all who believe in his name, believe in the name Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God, sons and daughters of God, adopted into a family. You have a belonging. You are a child of God. And as a child of God, you don't only have privileges, you have rights. So he gave, he, he gave the right to become children of God. As we enter into the family of God, through belief, we have rights. My children have rights in my home. We talk a lot about human rights as a society. We believe that humans have rights just by the very reality that they exist, that there's something of dignity and value in mankind. They have inherent rights, God-given, inalienable rights. This is saying, as a child of God, you have rights. God has given you the inheritance. He has welcomed you into his family. He said, your right now is to my kingdom. You actually have an entitlement to the inheritance in Jesus Christ. It's an amazing reality. 
So John here is trying to get us to focus in on belief. He says, believe in verse 7 and believe in verse 12. This Greek word that John uses, it comes from the root word pistis, which means to believe. So that's a good translation. But it also means to, to have trust in or to put your faith in. And so as we go through the Gospel of John, when we see the word believe, I want us to keep in mind that it means to have trust or faith, not just a mental assent. Sometimes we read the word believe, and and I think sometimes in America we have this like cheap confessional Christianity where we try to get people to just say, yeah, I believe in God. Oh, I'll do better than that. I believe in Jesus. But then there's no action change. There's no stepping out in faith. There's no trust of God. It's, it's this mental assent or this verbal confirmation. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus, but I'm going to go do my life any way that I want. That's not what John is saying here. This word belief, pistis, it means to trust in or to have faith in. And this is the key word throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament. It was in Hebrew in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament Greek, it's pistis. It means to, to step out in faith and trust God. This is John's aim for us as we read this book. His agenda, his destination is that we would arrive at belief. But he's concerned about the journey of getting us there, and he knows the way that you and I will arrive at belief is to behold Jesus, to look at Jesus, to consider Jesus. Look at verse 29. It says, The next day when Jesus was coming toward him, He said, this is John the Baptist, John the Apostle, recording what John the Baptist says, behold. Behold, that word means to stop, to look, to see, to pay attention, to wake up. This is important. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so right here in chapter 1, John is concerned, both the author and John the Baptist, they're concerned with any of these readers, us 2,000 years later, with us believing. But John the Baptist now, and John records it, there's this way for us to believe. It's to behold, it's to look, it's to see, it's to observe Jesus. It's the journey of stopping and noticing, of considering, of contemplating. And that's what we're going to do through the Gospel of John. And I want to expand our understanding of this word belief just a little bit because it's here in chapter 1. It's used twice. John uses it about 84 times in the Gospel of John. That's kind of funny to say about and then give you a specific number. Um, It's 84 times in the Gospel of John. um, And then it's all over the New Testament. But in the Gospel of John, this word belief, pistis, is used more than in any other New Testament book. John's agenda is for us to trust in the person and the work of Jesus, to have faith in the person and the work of Jesus, and yes, to believe. But again, remember, believe is not just a mental assent or a verbal confirmation. It's a life transformation. It's conforming to a different way of doing life. And let's jump to John chapter 20, and I want you to see how John summarizes this entire book for us. John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. Towards the end of the gospel, it's on page 907 in the Pew Bible, John, the author, writes, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. This letter is going to contain many signs, many miracles that Jesus does, pointing us to his nature, to who he is, and to God the Father. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may 
believe, so that you may pistis, you may trust, you may have faith that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the promised one to Israel, the Savior of the world. Christ is not a last name to Jesus. Jesus is a name, Christ is a title. You may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Remember what John says in John 1, 9, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then as we close out that chapter, we'll go back to chapter 1 and verse 34. He says, this is the Son of God. Here at the end, John the Apostle is saying, I've written all these things. This letter is here. These stories are here. All of this is compiled so that you might believe, that you might pistis, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, by trusting God, you may have life in his name. Life doesn't come through political change. Life doesn't come through new habits. Life doesn't come through fulfilling your New Year's resolution. Life doesn't come through exercising more, reading more, studying more, singing more, praying more, giving more, doing more. Those may all result in a new life. Those might be fruits of a new life, but life doesn't come from you bettering yourself. What does it say? That life comes from believing in the name of Jesus. This is eternal life. This is abundant life. This is real life. Pistis, faith, trust, belief. That's John's thesis for the entire book. Again, he has a destination. He has a goal. He, he wants us to arrive at a certain place, belief in Jesus. And so the journey is not unconcerned with the destination. But again, he's, he, 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 he labors throughout the book to get us to behold, to look and to see what Jesus is doing in, along the way because that's what leads us to belief. Now, I want to look at one more passage about belief and kind of see Jesus' thesis, uh, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. I don't know that we could say Jesus' thesis, because that seems weird to say that Jesus had a thesis. I don't know. This is pretty close. So look at John 14, 1 through 7 with me, and we'll see how Jesus draws us to belief. This is Jesus speaking. Some of your Bibles, it might be red letters. Other Bibles, it's black letters. It doesn't really matter. Don't get into debates or arguments about that. Just read the context and understand, is this Jesus speaking or not? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Pistis in God. Trust in God. Have faith in God. Believe also in me. Pistis. Have faith in me. Trust me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I, have, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself and where I am so that where I am going, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, 
You do know him, and you have seen him. You remember in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, this whole point here as John opens this letter is to reveal to us that when we see Jesus, when we look at Jesus, when Jesus is revealed to us through this gospel, we get to know what God is like, and we get to know God. We see God the Father by looking at the person of Jesus, the Son of Jesus. God is Jesus. Jesus is God. When we observe Jesus' life, when we behold Jesus, we understand God. In this passage, I love, Jesus tells us, right, belief is important, right? This, this end goal of everything that we do, gathering on Sunday mornings, scattering into one another's homes, doing Bible studies together, singing together, like bringing meals to one another, whatever it is that you do, it's so that Others would believe, and it's also to help your own belief, your own trust, your own faith in Jesus. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. It's the point. That's where new life comes from, through belief. And I love verse 6. It's, it's very common among the church. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, if you remember in chapter 1, that all, all who come to him would be saved. It's very, very inclusive language. Not only a special type of person or religion or background or creed, but anyone, all, may be saved. Very inclusive, but then there's an exclusive way to, be, to join that inclusive family, and it's through Jesus Christ. It says, I am the way and the truth and the life. You don't get there by bettering yourself. You don't get there by worshiping another God. You don't get there by whatever your causes and efforts and social changes. You get there through Jesus. You can't moralize your way into the kingdom. You get there through Jesus. And this verse is key, and it has animated my thinking on this, on this book. And, and you even see in the, the title of the series, the ways, and I, and I add ways there, Jesus is the way. He's the one exclusive way to God the Father. But in our title, when it says the ways, truth, and life of Jesus, there's multiple ways of living in and for Jesus. That's the point there. As we go through the book, we're going to see different ways that Jesus lived his life, and you and I are called to imitate him and to follow him and to live our lives in his way. I love uh, Eugene Peterson in a book um, called The Jesus Way. He writes this about this passage. He says, the Jesus way wedded to the Jesus truth brings about the Jesus life. We can't proclaim the Jesus truth, but then do it any old way that we like. Nor can we follow the Jesus way without speaking the Jesus truth. My concern is that the Jesus truth gets far more attention than the Jesus way. Jesus was the way, Jesus as the way is the most frequently evaded metaphor among Christians whom I have worked with for 50 years as a North American pastor. In John 14, 6, Jesus so clearly and definitively sets before us that the Jesus way comes first. We cannot skip the way of Jesus in our hurry to get the, to the truth of Jesus. The Jesus way wedded with the Jesus truth brings about the Jesus life. Isn't that so true? Some of you have been around churches and environments and where it's all about knowledge, truth. We got to get it right. We got to get it right. Information over intimacy and you're suffering, you're not experiencing the life of Jesus because it's all about truth, all about truth, all about truth. Others of you have maybe been exposed to churches or movements where it's all about the ways of Jesus, the ways of Jesus. How would Jesus think? How would Jesus do this? What would Jesus do? 
And there's, and there's no truth. It's all about moralistic imitation of Jesus and not repentance of sin. And it's when these two things come together, like if you remember in John chapter 1, verse 14, we looked at this in December, that Jesus is full of what? Do you remember? Full of, anyone remember it? Grace and truth. The, the Jesus way, his gracious way, wedded with the Jesus truth, the proclamation of objective truth, brings about the Jesus life. And isn't that what John told us in, in chapter 20, verse 31, that believing would result in new life? Jesus is going to tell us in John chapter 10 that he came to give us life and to give it to us abundantly. And this abundant life comes by wedding Jesus' truth with Jesus' ways. And so at Park Community Church, we don't want to just be a beacon of proclamation or a, 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 a social movement of do-gooders. We need both. And in that is how we experience the life of Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So my prayer for you and I as we walk through this book together, and, and I mean that, it's a prayer for you and myself. I don't pray for you as though, like, God, if only those people would come to where I am. I, I read this and I study this and, and I try to abide in Christ and I'm like, where am I broken, God? Where am I missing it? Where do I need to grow? What do you want to do in me? And then I'm convinced as he reveals that to me, that's also true of our family. And so here's my prayer for us in this season as we go through the Gospel of John that we would grow together in practicing the ways of Jesus. That we would grow together in believing the truth of Jesus. Or actually, I want to say trusting the truth of Jesus. So I want to trust Jesus. I don't just want to mentally conform to some doctrine or creed or verse. I want to trust Jesus with my everything. So I'm praying that we would grow in practicing the ways of Jesus, believing or trusting the truth of Jesus, and together experiencing the life of Jesus. This end game, this goal is that we would believe. Okay, so fine. How do we get there? I already told you, believing, right? In order to believe, we must behold. Let's flip back to John 1 and see this. So in John 1, verses 1 through 18, again, we looked at that all of December, so I'm not going to go through that again, but the author here, John, is trying to get us to behold Jesus, to look and to see and to consider and to marvel at who Jesus is. Right? I mean, that's why he says that he is the word, he is the light, he came before us. John, the author, is getting us to behold Jesus, and John, the Baptist, is also getting us to behold Jesus. Look at verse 15 says, John bore witness about him, Jesus, and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he became before me. So John was born first. John the Baptist was a forerunner for Jesus. But he says, if you remember, he says that Jesus was there in the beginning. He's, he's way before me. Behold him. He's worthy of your worship. He's worthy of your praise. Don't worship me a prophet. So then jump down to verse 19, and this is the testimony of John. 
when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? So the religious leaders, the religious establishment, there was this little buzz that there's this crazy man named John who's giving these prophecies, and he has a little following, and they were always worried about people following others rather than their own institution and their own ways of practicing the Old Testament religion. They, they were threatened, and so there's this little rumor about this guy named John who has this little following, and so they send some delegates to ask him, who are you? You're not of us. You don't have our endorsement. Who are you? And John says, verse 20, confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. Don't worry about it. I'm not claiming to be the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah. Not a big deal. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? The, the people were waiting for, there's this, there's this prophecy in Malachi 4 or 5, which says that Elijah will come before the Messiah comes. And so they're like, maybe this is Elijah preparing the way. And he says, no, I'm not even Elijah. I'm not that. Are you, are you, I'm not the prophet either, he says. There's this idea in the book of Isaiah where it says that there will be a prophet, and that's actually pointing to the Messiah. And here John's saying, no, don't get confused. I'm a prophet. I'm not the prophet. There's one coming after me. Verse 22, they say, uh, so they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us what, what you say about yourself. The religious establishment wants to know who you are. And he said, I am a voice crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah says. So John, the Baptist, is like a small prophet. He's not the prophet. He is a prophet pointing away to the prophet, the Messiah. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am unworthy. I am not worthy to untie. See how he's beholding Jesus? There's this man coming after me who's unlike me. He's not a prophet. He's the prophet. He's not somebody who has some salvific ideas and policies and theories, he is the Savior, the Messiah. He doesn't need Elijah. He made Elijah. Verse 28, these things took place in Bethany across from Jordan where John was baptizing. And then verse 29, this, this word behold, he says, and the next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him. And he said, behold, stop, look, See, pay attention, wake up. This is important. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This man, Jesus, he's the one to be believed in. He's the one to behold. Don't believe in your prophets, your pastors, your priests. They can't save you, your politicians. They can't save you, your religious leaders, your institutions. They can't save you. Don't behold them. Don't behold your podcasters, your authors. Behold 
the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's one who you ought to put your trust in, one who you ought to put your faith in, one who you ought to pay attention to, and his name is Jesus. He's the Lamb of God. This is hearkening back to the Old Testament system. In Exodus chapter 12, we, we learn about the Passover lamb. When the people of God were in Israel, they, they were in Egypt as slaves, and God's going to deliver them, and he says, I'm going I'm to come through the camp this night. And as a punishment and as a warning to Pharaoh, I'm going to kill the firstborn male of every household, except for those who have the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. Those homes I will pass over and those sons will live and you will be delivered. Jesus is that lamb. His blood allows us to live. And also in Exodus 29, we are told about this daily sacrifice in the temple, the holy dwelling place of God. There's a twice a day sacrifice, two lambs each day were sacrificed, one in the morning and one in the evening as a reminder that there had to be sacrifice for their sin. And so John the Baptist here, he's saying, Look, behold, this Jesus from Nazareth. Behold him. Pay attention to him. Believe in him. He is the lamb of God. He is the Passover lamb. He is the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Your Old Testament system didn't remove your sin. It was a, it was a way to point out that you needed a savior, a Messiah, a better hope. And he has come. He is here. Behold Jesus. To believe, we must behold. Specifically, to believe in Jesus, we must behold Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As we journey through the Gospel of John, I want us to do this by immersing ourselves in this story taking our time, noticing the high points. Sometimes we'll go faster. Sometimes we'll go slower. Sometimes we'll stop on the hay bale and get out and climb on top. And other times we'll be like, no, nah, there's a bathroom break coming up and we got to get there. And we're going to immerse ourselves in this story. And, and I, and I want to ask you, church family, to do three things with me. I want to ask you to open your lives to one another. Whether that's through an organized thing like a community group or whether that's just through organic friendships that you're making, would you open your lives to one another? Not just your homes, your apartments, and that's a piece of it. But open up your lives, open up your hearts, get to know one another. Allow one another to get into your business and into your stuff. Number one, open your lives to one another. Number two, open the gospel of John with one another. At a coffee shop, at a pub, in a living room, in a restaurant, in an organized community group or a, or a unorganized friend group or whatever it is, would you open the gospel of John with others? Open your lives to one another, open the gospel of John with one another, and then third, would you wait and watch what God does? As we immerse ourselves in this story and journey together through this, would you just wait and watch and see what God does? That's what I'm going to invite you into, and, and again, every week as we gather here on Sunday mornings, we're going to behold Jesus, trusting that as we behold him, our our belief, our faith, our trust will be increased. And one of the ways that we do that weekly here at Park Community Church is to take communion. 
This is a way that we behold Jesus. This bread represents his body given for us, the sacrificial lamb in our place on our behalf, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this cup represents his blood shed for us, the Passover lamb, the blood by whom our lives are spared. So I'm going to pray, and then when you feel led and ready, you can come forward or to the back and take communion. You don't have to be a part of our church. You don't have to be a part of our denomination. You don't have to know any secret code or handshake to take communion here. It's open to anyone who longs to follow after Jesus and, and confesses that Jesus is Lord. We behold him together as we remember the sacrificial lamb and the Passover lamb as we behold Jesus. Let me pray. Jesus, we love you. We behold you. Lord, I know even even as I preach, um, even in this room, there's people who are struggling to behold you. Lord, we are so captivated by other things. Myself, I'm, I'm captivated by other things. Lord, I'm, even in this moment, I'm as captivated by the desire to want to be liked by this church family as I am to behold your beauty and glory. I confess that. Lord, we are all so tempted and led to behold things other than the Lamb of God. And so I pray that you would supernaturally work even in this moment, in this space, to help us to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as we do that, may our belief, may our faith, may our trust increase for the glory of God, the good of those who we do life with, and the advancement of your gospel. May you nourish us now with your body in your blood. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.